C12, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing good? Hey, can we give it up for the band? Holy smokes, incredible. Well, guys, it is a pleasure uh, to be here with you tonight. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at 12 Stone Church. Uh, and I tell you, I've been excited uh, about this for months, just to be in this room, to get to worship with you guys, talk about Jesus a little bit. Uh, but I'm excited. But look, uh, right up the top, I'd love to take just a second to introduce you to my family because they are definitely my better half. Uh, so this is my family, part of them a little bit. That's my wife, Erica. We've been married for about seven years now. I want to tell you something I'm crazy about that chick. Like, I love her so much, and uh, I'm honored just to be able to be a part of her life. Uh, she's one of my best friends, and uh, it's just an honor. And then uh, that's our boy, Jagger, Jagger James. He's, he turns three next month, uh, one of the funniest, happiest kids I've ever met. Uh, but last, about three weeks ago, his life turned upside down because he's no longer an only child. And my wife gives her a second little baby boy, Ledger Law Ivy. Yes, and um, he's a happy baby. He's healthy. Jagger loves him, as you can see from the next picture. Jagger loves the kid. <laughs> uh, and I tell you, having two little boys is so much fun. Someone's always naked in my house right now. Just, just bare butts and a lot of other things happening. It feels like college again. This is crazy. Uh, but it's just a lot of fun. Anyways, uh, tonight, I want to go on a little bit of a journey with you, uh, and I want to have an honest conversation with you about following Jesus, and I want to talk about what I believe is one of the most essential, yet overlooked pieces of following Jesus. Now, before we get there, I have a question for you. I need just to show of hands, okay? Has anybody in here ever been in a disappointing relationship? Show of hands. Whether dating or friendship, yeah. Like some of you aren't raising your hand because you're sitting next to that disappointing relationship. <laughs> just, I'm just being serious. Look, um, but yeah, so we've all been in disappointing relationships. Here's the deal. My first disappointing relationship, I was about 15 years old. Uh, I had just gotten kind of into the high school. And when I was 15, I was, I was not a cool kid whatsoever. Socially awkward, terrible with girls, dressed like a nerd, but I was a nerd because I was dumb. Nerds are smart. I was not smart at all. Um, it just was not cool at all. But it's about 15, and what I noticed uh, about this time period in my life, all of my friends started getting girlfriends. Um, and they looked happy with their girlfriends. And I was like, I want to be happy. So I'm going to go find a girlfriend, I guess. I mean, that's what it seems like the trend is. So I'm going to be happy. I want to go get a girlfriend. Now, I had never had a girlfriend before, uh, so I had no idea what I was doing. But going to be happy, going to get a, get a girlfriend. So I started looking for a girlfriend. And, and back in the day when I say I went looking for a girlfriend, I mean, you literally had to look for a girlfriend. Like, there's no Snapchat. There's no Instagram. Uh, there's no such thing as sliding into DMs, okay, at all. You had to go up like a man and talk to them and actually have a conversation. And for me, that was a nightmare. But anyway, so I finally found this girl um, at, the, at my church that liked me and I liked her. And for the sake of the story, we will call her Ashley. <laughs> that was not her name, but we will call her that for the sake of the story. Uh, but there was a problem. Ashley was my youth pastor's daughter. Yeah, yeah, I know. I dated her. Stupid. Just a, 
one of the first dumb decisions in a long list of dumb decisions. But anyway, uh, I dated her and it made youth group awkward as crap. And uh, she was my first kiss. And we would sneak up to her roof and make out. This is a true story. First time I ever made out with the girls with my youth pastor's daughter on my youth pastor's roof. Which was stupid because there's so much risk and she was a terrible kisser. Like, was not worth it at all. That's why I call her Ashley, okay? Listen, it was terrible. Just terrible. Anyway, so, uh, but all jokes aside, I really did care about Ashley. I really did care. And I wanted her to be happy. I wanted to be happy. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to be the best boyfriend in the world. I mean, Enneagram 3, it comes natural. I want to do, like, everything awesome. I'm going to be the best at everything. I'm going to be the best boyfriend ever. I'm, I've never been a boyfriend before. I don't know what to do. Look at, uh, around at all my friends and notice that what they did was they, would, they were buying stuff for their girlfriends. I'm like, bingo, that's how you're a boyfriend. You buy stuff. So I just started buying her stuff, flowers and clothes and jewelry and all of this. But it was weird because I was buying her this stuff, but something was still missing. Like, we, neither one of us were happy, and we weren't connecting. So I went, well, obviously it's my issue, so I am going to try harder. I'm going to try harder to be a, a great boyfriend. So I bought her more stuff, and then I tried to start doing things for her. I literally started doing her homework for her as a way of doing this, which was a terrible decision because her grades plummeted. I mean, <laughs> Valedictorian was nowhere in sight anymore. But So she started doing her homework again. And then I started helping her around the house. Literally would go to her house and try to do things for her, do her chores. Because I just wanted, I just wanted to be a good boyfriend. Okay, all the ladies in the room. Didn't that sound like an amazing boyfriend? Let's be honest. I was. <laughs> I wanted to do everything I could to earn her love and to earn a good relationship with her. And you know what? It was still a bad relationship. Neither one of us were happy. It, it, it was weird. And it was confusing. Because here I am working my butt off as a boyfriend. And neither one of us are happy. And neither one of us are fulfilled. And I was disappointed and I was frustrated. Because the relationship didn't deliver on its promise. It promised joy. And we weren't getting it. Eventually, the relationship ended. I believe some of us in here are experiencing the exact same thing with our relationship with God. Where we entered a relationship with God because we were promised joy and happiness and peace. And maybe we even saw our other friends joining in a relationship with God and so we said yes to Jesus, and we started a relationship. And then we started doing Christian things because it's what we were told to do. Like we started going to church and C12 and volunteering and joining in a small group. And, um, but if we're honest with ourselves, we know that there's something still missing. Like, we're not experiencing the joy that was promised to us. We're not experiencing the peace and the love that we see in, in, in the Bible. Like we're exhausting ourselves doing the Christian life, but we're not experiencing the promises of the Christian life. Anxious, exhausted, 
stressed, depressed. You can fill in the blank. And maybe we don't want to admit it, but if you got drunk and honest enough, oh, please, you know you've been there. If you got drunk and honest enough, you would say that you were disappointed in your experience with the Christian life because you had the expectation of peace, love, and joy, and it hasn't delivered yet. So if Jesus is supposed to make us happy, what's missing? If you feel this way, I want you to know something. First of all, you're not alone. This is something I have felt and struggled with. There's something that I believe many of us in this room have struggled with. And this is something that actually some people in the Bible have struggled with too. And I believe that Jesus actually gives us insight and a solution to this problem. So what I want to do for the next couple of minutes is dig into a passage of Scripture. We're going to look at a story. And it's an interaction between two sisters named Mary and Martha and their interaction with Jesus. And I believe in this interaction with Jesus, Jesus gives us some insight into how we can go uh, from having a disappointing and exhausting relationship with God to a joyful and fulfilling relationship with God. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go to Luke uh, chapter 10. Luke is uh, the third book of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Chapter 38, no, excuse me, chapter 10, sorry, dyslexic. Chapter 10, 10 is the chapter between 9 and 11. And we're also going to have it on the screen as well. So let's dig in. Mary and Martha. As Jesus and his disciples were on the way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. If you have a pen in your own Bible, I want you to underline uh, that little phrase, sat at the Lord's feet. But Martha was distracted. I also want you to underline that word distracted. She was distracted by all the preparations that just had to be made. Enneagram 6. You can laugh at that. Are y'all not, has Heather not introduced you to the Enneagram yet? Yeah. Heather! Huh? You did do it? Getting to it. You get to it quicker. These jokes are just flopping. Gosh, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> all right, where am I? Okay. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that just had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? That my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Pay really close attention to what's going on. Martha invites Jesus into her house because she wants to invest in her relationship with him. Just like we often open our lives to God. We want to grow closer to him. So Jesus enters the house, sits down. Her baby sister Mary drops down to her feet. It's hanging on every word that Jesus has to say. But Martha's nowhere to be found. She's distracted. She's distracted by all the things she thinks Jesus expects of her. Most likely preparing a meal. So she's in the back growing anxious and frustrated and exhausted and disappointed. And she comes up to Jesus. Jesus, what's the deal? Like, why is it that I'm having to work my butt off over here and Mary's not doing crap and she gets the joy of the relationship? What's the deal? Tell her to work harder. And we can often feel that same kind of tension 
in our relationship with God. Like, Jesus, what's the deal? I'm going to church. I'm going to C12. I'm volunteering. I'm in a small group. I'm doing all these things. Yet, I'm seeing these other guys that aren't doing anything, and they seem so much more happy than me in their relationship with God. How come I have to work my butt off, and I'm not getting the joy that they're getting? I'm the one working the hardest. I'm the one with all the anxiety. That doesn't make any sense. But let's pay attention to Jesus' response to this. this is, I love this. First of all, Martha, Martha. He says her name twice, like Pay attention. Like, I want your attention. The Lord answered, you were worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus is saying, Martha, you've missed the point. I didn't ask you to do things for me. Martha's making sandwiches that Jesus didn't order. You've missed the point. You're distracted working hard for me. But there's only one thing I want you to do. Slow down and come spend some time with me. Be still and be with me. And this is what what I believe. This is a key element of following Jesus that we can so easily miss. Following Jesus isn't about trying harder. It's about drawing nearer. Now, this is what broke in my relationship with Ashley. I was so busy doing things for her that I wasn't spending time with her and getting to know her, and the relationship crumbled. It's something that we often do in our relationship with God. We can get so busy exhausting ourselves doing things for God rather than slowing down and spending time with God and getting to know him. Look, when Jesus invited us to follow him, his invitation to us was not come work for me. It was come be with me. Following Jesus, it's not, about, it's not something that we have to do. It's about someone we get to be with. And this is the key difference between religion and true Christianity. Religion demands try harder. Jesus invites us to draw nearer. Religion says follow the rules so you can earn God's love. Jesus says you already have God's love. Come spend some time with me. Religion wants our performance. Jesus wants our heart. Jesus wants nothing from you. He simply wants your heart. We serve a God. He's a relational God that wants a relationship with us. Isn't that a little liberating? Like there's nothing you have to do to please him. He just wants you. Nothing from you. He simply wants you. Just as you are. Jesus doesn't love you because you're good. He loves you because he's good. He wants you just as you are. So what I want to do is just take a couple layers deeper in this. A couple layers deeper in this idea of spending time with God, drawing near to him, and look at how it's done, what happens as a result. So if you're a note taker, you might want to pull out your pen. We're just going to take a couple of quick notes real quick, okay? So how do we do this? How do we draw near to God? How do we spend time with him? In scripture, we see three primary ways that we spend time with God. Number one, the Bible, reading scripture. Number two is prayer. That's authentic communication with God. In worship, that's authentic adoration for God. 
And then as we spend personal alone time with God, our hearts begin to change. And it changes in a large number of ways. But I want to highlight two of them. Okay? So two results of being with Jesus. So let's keep taking a little notes. Number one, the results of spending time with Jesus. Number one, being with Jesus makes us more like Jesus. You naturally become more like the people you spend time with. In fact, there was a, a social psychologist that uh, did a bit of a social experiment a couple of years ago over in the UK. He would go around uh, to bus stations and find groups of people, and he would just start laughing. And he just wanted to see if he could make people laugh just because he was laughing. And they actually caught this on film, and I want to show you about two minutes of the results. So check this out. Stand by. Action. become like those we spend time with. And Jesus is no exception. We spend time with Jesus, we naturally become more like Jesus. He changes the way we think. He changes our hearts. He changes our desires. He changes our, our, our desire to even obey him. Nearness always equals likeness. It is impossible to draw near to Jesus without becoming more like him. It's impossible. If you know someone that says they're near Jesus and they act like the devil, <laughs> they ain't near Jesus. Because it's impossible. Nearness always and only equals likeness. Number two. Number two result of spending time with Jesus. Being with Jesus gives us power to overcome sin. Now, I want you to pay really close attention to the order of that sentence. Because it's very important. Notice it doesn't say, overcome sin, get your life together, then you can be with Jesus. No. You go to Jesus first in all of your sin, in all of your struggles, and then he will give you the power to overcome it. And we have to have God's power to overcome sin because we don't have the power in ourselves to overcome sin. And all of us need it because all of us are jacked up. We all have our own struggles. Like, 
You know nobody's perfect, right? Show of hands. You know nobody's perfect. Okay, I want you to look at your neighbor and go, you're not perfect. Look back at him and go, neither are you. That's right. Hey, no, we are all jacked up and we all need Jesus. Nobody is perfect. And guess what? Jesus knows that too. You want to know what? This is one of my favorite things about spending time with Jesus, that I don't have to put on a mask around here, around him. I'm in Enneagram 3. I can throw a mask on in a heartbeat. But he's one of the one places that I know I can go to. I don't have to pretend like I'm something I'm not. I don't have to polish myself up. I get to go to him as broken as I am. I don't have to put on the facade of who I think people want me to be around him. I can be open and honest and transparent. God is not scared of the worst parts of me. He doesn't just want the best parts of me. He wants the worst parts of me. Spending, the prayer closet is not a catwalk. It's an operating table. Getting to spend time with him. Don't fake around Jesus. He doesn't want to fake you. He, God can't bless someone you're pretending to be. He can only bless you. But this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. Jesus already knows who you are. And you get to be who you are around him. You don't have to put on the mask that we put around other people. You can go to him just as you are and get his power. Listen, they say you can divide the world into two groups of people. You got cat people, you got dog people. You got people who love Star Wars and people who hate Star Wars. You got people who Snapchat the majority of the day. Then you got people who actually have lives. Oh. <laughs> got a round, weird round of applause over there. Distracted <laughs> me. You got people who love to wake up in the morning. Then you got people who hate the people who love to wake up early in the morning. And then you got people who are broken and messed up. And then you got people who are broken and messed up and pretend like they're not. And they're hiding from God. And by hiding from God, they're forfeiting the power necessary to overcome their sin. Some of us in here are struggling with some really heavy stuff. Really heavy stuff. We got addictions, pornography, sexual sins. Some of us are functioning alcoholics. Some of us are popping pills and abusing prescription drugs. Self-harming, wearing long sleeves to cover up the marks, lying, cheating, and we think we're getting away with it. And you've bought into the lie that you have to clean yourself up before you come to God. I want to let you know something. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. You don't clean yourself up by trying harder and then you come to Jesus. You draw nearer to Jesus and then he's the one who cleans you up. Holiness is not a qualification to be near Jesus. It's the result of being near Jesus. Don't you ever buy into the lie that you are responsible for God accepting you. Jesus is responsible because he's already done the work for you. You go to him just as you are. You provide the need, he provides the rescue. You come to him just as you are, and he loves you just as much. But he can't rescue you until you provide that need.
Go to him just as you are. In your mess, in your sin, in your jacked-upness. Don't run away from him. Run to him. Um, I want to um, take a second to at least share why this idea of drawing near Jesus is personal to me and important to me. And I'm going to ask for some grace, okay? Uh, because I'm going to share something that I'm not comfortable with sharing. But as I was preparing uh, this message and praying through it, I felt God give me a very clear and strong prompt uh, to share this. And my immediate response was, hell no. <laughs> I can't share that about me. What will they think? And you ever just notice when the Holy Spirit bugs the crap out of you about something? And so I can't get away from it. So I've got I've to obey him. Uh, I've had a lot of different struggles in my life. If you know anything about my story, it hasn't been... Um, I've had a lot of obstacles, and it hasn't been the easiest life uh, in the world. And about two years ago, I, I faced off with something I had never faced off with before. It caught me off completely off guard. Uh, and about two years ago, I started dealing and struggling with a serious case of clinical depression. Now, when I say depression, I don't mean I was just really sad, okay? I don't mean that. I mean, everything in life became meaningless and hopeless. I literally lost motivation for life. The things that once excited me, I just, I just didn't care. And then everything in my life became overwhelming like even the most basic things in life became overwhelming the idea of brewing coffee the idea of returning a text message just getting dressed in the mornings completely paralyzing I remember one morning I uh, I was getting ready for work and I just walked in my closet and I'm trying to get dressed and just I'm telling you if you've never been there it's just hard to describe but just uh, getting the idea of having to change clothes just I, just I couldn't do it and just I just literally laid on my floor and just squalled and cried and just like, what what is wrong with me it was it seemed to hurt just to be alive. It hurt to breathe. It literally hurt to be alive. And then while, while I'm struggling with this, I would have been struggling with it for a couple of months, my life started to fall apart. Um, my dad had a heart attack. One of my best friends, 22 years old, I was the best man in her wedding, died of cancer. 
One, one year, I'm holding her wedding ring at her wedding, and 13 months later, I'm holding her casket. I started to experience some health issues. I had a car wreck, and the car engine blew up. My wife had a miscarriage. I lost $15,000 overnight in a real estate transaction. And when you're a young pastor with a young family, 15 grand is crippling. And then, and then, and then one night, um, somebody kind of caught wind that we were going through a hard season in life. So they decided they wanted to do something for us. They wanted to give us a gift. So they got us Ed Sheeran concert tickets. I'm like, heck yeah, I'm all about that. So we drove down to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Snow Patrol was opening up for him. It was like a dream come true. I sit down. First song. I'll never forget the rest of my life. Chasing cars. I get a phone call from my buddy Jake in North Carolina. Me, him, and another guy named Kyle were best friends in North Carolina. We did everything together. I get a phone call. I'm like, Snow Patrol playing. Delete. I'm like, come on, bro. I'll call you back later. And he calls again. He calls again, he calls again. So I, I answer the phone. I say, like, hey, bud, what's up? What are you doing? I said, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. So what's up? Kyle was found dead. Relapsed, heroin. He was laced with fentanyl. Been clean for six years. Got to baptize him. He's gone. 26 years old. I remember just running out in the hallway at Mercedes-Benz Stadium and just, I just couldn't. He's squalling. Had security had to come up and help me up. Really? I, I would go to bed at night and secretly hope that I wouldn't wake up because I was tired of hurting. I couldn't handle the pain of the next day. I, I was so scared of the next tragedy that was happening. I just wanted to die. I would hear of pastors who took their life and get jealous. It's the most dark place I've ever been in my life. And then I became overwhelmed with shame and anger. Like I I became really shameful about it. Like I felt like such a hypocrite. Here I am, a Christian. I have Jesus. I'm supposed to have the joy of the Lord. And I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be the, I love you. You love me. Like I'm supposed to be that guy. You know? And then I'm getting on stage every week and talking about the joy of the Lord. And I don't even know if I've ever experienced it before. Hypocrite. 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 then I felt so angry towards God. Like, God, you promise joy in your scripture. Like, you don't promise joy to just super Christians and Mother Teresa, all believers. You promised joy. Now, here I am, a pastor. I've given up everything for you, everything for you, and you can't deliver on the most basic of promises? I'm keeping my promises. Why won't you keep yours? How hard do I have to work for you, for you to love me? And then one day, I'm I'm having lunch with a mentor, and I'm hiding it well. Again, Enneagram 3, I can hide it like the best of them. And I'm having having lunch with Miles Welch. You know Miles, right? (laughs) If you don't know Miles, Miles is a Marine. 
If you've never had met with them or had coffee with them, you need to do it. Now, you're not going to walk away and feel like you just got hugged by a teddy bear. You're going to feel like you got mauled by a bear. <laughs> I'm having lunch with Miles. And so, I, so I'm, I, I started asking him some questions. And I said, hey, Miles, i got a question for you. I said, uh, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> you know, not me. i got my life together. You know, I'm asking for a friend. Let me ask you. i got a guy in my small group who's working, like he's doing his best following Jesus and he's following, you know, he's doing his best and he's doing all these things, but he's not experiencing joy. What would you tell him? Miles looks at me and goes, well, Josh, what I would tell you to do is quit working harder and to draw nearer to Jesus. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, Josh, there's nothing you have that you can offer to God. There's only one thing that you can offer God, and that's your heart. And ironically, it's the only thing he wants. Go draw nearer. And I looked at him and said, Miles, what the hell does that mean? Like, I'm I'm a simple country boy. You've got to make it practical for me. What does that mean? What does that look like? He said, this is what I want you to do. He said, tomorrow morning, I want you to get up before the rest of your family. I want you to go spend some time with God. I want you to worship him. And then I want you to be bluntly honest with him. Okay. You want me to be bluntly honest? I can do that. Next morning, I get up Early. And um, I get up, and um, I go to the living room. It was, it was super early in the morning. And I, I, get, I lay in my living room, I got my Bible open. And I put in my, um, my earphones. And I just sit there. And go, God, I don't even want to be here right now. I don't want to talk with you. I don't know what to say. I don't even have anything to offer you. I've got nothing. But if you'll take my nothing, I'll give it to you. But regardless of what I'm going through, I think you deserve worship. So, God, I'm just going to worship you. And I'm telling you, in that moment, I just started worshiping. I just started worshiping. I put my emotions to the side, and I just started worshiping him. And I started worshiping for his holiness and his goodness and his power and his majesty. And I'm telling you, in that moment, it was like everything that was wrong about me faded into the shadows of everything that was right about him. And there was something that shifted. It was like God himself walked into the room. And I'm, I'll never forget it. Because I was so overwhelmed with love in that moment. He didn't judge me. He didn't shame me. It was like the hand of God. Like I'm an emotional person, but I don't cry a lot. And I just couldn't stop. It was like I finally got a glimpse of who he is. And it wasn't the God I had in my head. It was a loving and kind God. And I realized that God is kinder and closer than I could ever imagine. And I'm sitting here and I'm going, God, I'm sorry. 
for deeming you as a monster. But I want to know you better. I want to know who you are. Because if this is who you are, I want every bit of it. And, and I'm telling you, I couldn't stop. And it wasn't like a sad cry, like, like I'm going through a hard time, I need a good cry. It was like a cry like, I can't believe God loves me this much type cry. It was the presence of God was so thick. And then right before it ended, it was a super clear statement that went through my heart. And it said, Josh, this is not a one-time deal. This is the new normal. Well, what does that mean? And then about that time, <laughs> about that time, there's a wind that rushes through uh, the living room. And like my clothes are moving. I'm like, it's the Holy Spirit. I've read about this. Oh, what? And then I look up. And my mother-in-law is in, it, it, it got the door open in the living room. She goes, what the? <laughs> she let the dog out to go pee. Got the door open. What the? And she goes, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm just talking to Jesus. Don't let my moment with God interrupt the dog taking a leak, you know. <laughs> but I knew in that moment that I needed to start, I needed to find a private place where me and God could have some time together and I wouldn't be worried about what other people were thinking. So that evening I went, and, and I remember in Matthew 6, 6, Jesus says, uh, get alone, go, go in your closet, shut the door, and talk to your heavenly Father in secret. So that uh, evening I went up to uh, my, my closet and I literally just cleaned my closet. And, um, and, I, and so what I did, and I'm, I'm literally just going to show you what I did. I got a camouflage. This is my camouflage blanket. I call it my redneck prayer shawl. <laughs> uh, and then I got Christmas lights. Because I'm way too clumsy to be lighting uh, candles in the closet. Just kind of weird. Anyway. And I literally just um, outlined my closet. With Christmas lights. And, um, well, dang it. <laughs> you know, I just outlined my uh, prayer closet. And I turned off the lights. And, and then um, I started every single morning getting up before the rest of my family. He's getting in the closet. And, I, and I'll sit there and I always start with worship. And I just worship God. It fixed my eyes on him because when I realized when I worship him and put my eyes on him, everything else comes into perspective. And until I do that, nothing else is really in perspective. It, it takes me out of the center of the world. It puts him back into the center. I just worship his character. I just, I just worship his majesty and his power and his holiness and his love and his nearness and his kindness. Just worship him and I'll worship. Gosh, I love being in there by myself because I'm not judged. I can worship in there. Worship, and then, and then I get alone, and I read scripture, and I read his promises, and I remind myself of the things he's done and the things that he promises us, and it's just, it roots me in the truth of his word, and then I just pour my heart out to him. I pray about everything. I pray about pressures. I pray about failures, and I repent. I pray about temptations, and I pray about uh, decisions that are made and, and the things I'm going through, I pray about everything. If it's going on in my life, I pray about it because if I have time to worry about it, I have time to pray about it. And I pray about everything. I don't polish it. I'm authentic. And sometimes I do nothing. Sometimes I just lay down and I rest. 
I just worship and I don't do anything. I just rest in his presence. And I'm telling you, this drawing near Jesus in this time in the morning has changed my life because it makes me realize that God does offer joy. He offers joy, but it comes in his presence. Not by trying harder, but by drawing nearer. So I've... And I've realized, and I, I want to put something in perspective and be very honest with you. The pain of life is still very real. The pain of life is very real. In fact, the past four months have been the worst months of my life. It doesn't, like, exclude me from the experience of being a human. But what I've realized is that joy doesn't come from the absence of pain. It comes from the presence of Christ. So I've quit asking for less pain and started asking for more of God in this moment. I'm telling you, listen, if depression is what drove me to this point in my life, it was worth it. It was worth it. Every tear and every lonely night is worth it because I finally get to experience the better life that God offers in his joy. It was worth it. And I have done this, this whole drawing nearer versus trying harder. Don't try harder, draw nearer. This isn't a cute phrase to me. This has been my life the past two years. Six days a week for the past two years, I have done this. I sleep in on Fridays because a bottle I got to sleep, you know? I got to get some sleep. But six days a week, I'm in that prayer closet pouring my heart out to Jesus. It's the only thing that keeps me sane. Now, this is not the way that you have to pray. I just wanted to give you an idea. You get to pray however you pray to God. But I wanted to give you an idea. Listen, God doesn't want something from you. He simply wants you. So what I want us to do is finish our moment together drawing near Jesus. So this is the way it's going to look. Band's going to come up. They're going to lead us in a moment of worship, one worship song. This is what I want us to do in this worship song. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Get focused on him. Lose yourself in worship to him. And I mean worship. Don't let what's wrong about you keep you from worshiping what's right about him. Okay? Lose yourself in this. And then we're going to have a little bit of space where right where you are, you can get to pour your heart out to God. Whatever you're going through, you get to have an honest, bold conversation with God. But first we're going to worship. Put our eyes on Jesus. Let's draw near to him. So I'm going to invite you to stand. They're going to lead us in this song. And let's worship him with all of our hearts. Jesus' blood and 
Now, this is what I want us to do. And I'm going to give you freedom to do however this looks. We're going to have a moment where you get to talk with God. You one-on-one. If you want to sit down in your seat, you can do so. If you want to find someone in this room and kneel, kneel down, you can do so. If you want to stand up, you can do so. If you want to come down here, you can do so. This is between you and God. Nobody else, you and God. And I want us just to take the freedom to have an honest conversation with God. Where do you need him the most in your life right now? What's the biggest need you have? What's the area of your life that you're scared to invite him into because you think he's going to shame you when he actually wants to be invited in that area of your life? You provide the need, he provides the rescue. Be more honest with him in this moment than you've ever been before. Pour your heart out to him. Draw near to him. Get naked before him. So, Room's up. We're going to give you about five minutes for you to just have an honest conversation. You can do it however you look. There's going to be uh, no rules in this, but just five minutes. You have an honest conversation with God. Pour out your heart.
I can't help but uh, just feel like there may be some of us in here who are running to the things of this world for joy and it's disappointing us. We're running to a relationship status or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or financial security or a career thinking it's going to make us joyful. We're looking for acceptance or Instagram likes and we're just and I'm telling you, the world does not have joy and it can't give you what it doesn't have. But Jesus does have joy. He wants to give it to you and he loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He's the only place that your soul can be completely satisfied. And if you've never fully surrendered to him, you can start a relationship with him even in this moment. It's as simple as believing that he is who he says he is, the son of God. That he died on the cross for your sins and rose from that grave and your sin has been paid for and if you put your faith in him and say Jesus I ask you to forgive me of my sins I'm surrendering to, to you for now and forever and that relationship can begin for some of us in here maybe we had a relationship with God where we were near God but we we've drifted and maybe we were near God than we are now we started putting our faith and trust in things to satisfy us and maybe God's inviting you back home. A fresh moment of surrender. If that's you, give it to him now. Give it to him now. Whatever you're hanging on to, it's not going to make you happy. But Jesus. So I want to give you just another moment. Give it to him. All right. Now for the next 30 seconds, I just want you to take a second and just tell them how much you love them. We love you, Jesus. God, you are a good God, and we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for how close you are. We thank you for your love and your mercy, Jesus. We thank you for the work that you've done. Lord, we thank you that you're a good God. Aren't you thankful that he's a good God? We thank you that you are a good God. And now, Heavenly Father, as a way of wrapping this up, we started with worship, and it's only appropriate that we ended worship. So we're going to worship our butts off because you deserve it, God. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. amen.